Full service radio. Full service radio. Full service. Full service. Full service. Full service radio. Hotel in Washington, D.C., you're listening to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. At the time of this recording, tis the season for holiday shopping, which means this is also the season let's say end of October until the end of February, where many food entrepreneurs make at least 40% of their sales for the year. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, think about it. You've got Halloween, Thanksgiving, all of the holiday parties, all of the holiday gifts, New Year's, and then Valentine's Day. So if you're a longtime listener of the tidbit, you know that we advocate for shifting our purchasing dollars back into the local economy year round, year round. But we cannot ignore the impact that this time of year has on the local economy. But what does that actually mean? I mean, we say this often, but let's break it down. When we say we put money back into our local economy, it sounds nice, but what are the cold hard facts? So for example, here are some helpful stats from the U.S. Small Business Administration, the SBA. And keep in mind that the SBA defines a small business pretty broadly. For many industries, that means up to 500 employees or 7.5 million in average annual receipts. So this means that SBA small businesses are probably a lot bigger than those in our community. At Curate, for example, we work with businesses grossing typically under $3 million per year with 1 to 10 employees. So if you're looking to actually make a shift with your dollars, considering look at, looking at made-in programs like Made in D.C. or Made in Baltimore, these are the entrepreneurs that are really activating the local economy. We actually worked really closely with Made in D.C. this year on refreshing thisismadeindc.com, the website. So check it out because it's really an important resource and tool as you're deciding where to spend. So back to these stats. These are stats from the Small Business Administration. There are 28.8 million small businesses in the country. Small businesses account for 99% of all businesses in the U.S., 99%. Small businesses accounted for 64% of new jobs created in the U.S. between 93 and 2011. This is a stat I really like to highlight because sometimes I feel like we're in a rat race and need some perspective. Um, So this stat is the median income for individuals self-employed at their own incorporated business was $50,347 in 2016. That's 50K, people, not a quarter million. So get yourself in perspective. 50K is the median. So more stats. Small businesses donate 250% more than larger businesses to nonprofits and community causes. And lastly, this is one of my favorites. If you spend $100 at a local business, roughly $68 stays in your local economy. 
And if you spend the same at a large business, only $32 stays in the local economy. Really take that in. That is like pretty much double. Exactly. Again, we cannot ignore this impact of this particular time of year um, and the, the impact it has on our small business community at large. So I am really excited to announce here that at Curate, we are thrilled to be creating a new sales opportunity and distribution channel in partnership with the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City this year. So for two weekends in December, this Friday, December 7th to 9th, and next weekend, December 14th to 16th, Curate will be popping up inside of the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City where you can shop local. Uh, We're going to be featuring over 18 different local vendors, more than 50% being women-owned businesses. And if you are tuning in and are thinking, where is this place? Uh, The Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City is located literally in front of the Pentagon City Metro, and it's attached to the Pentagon City Mall. So really, really accessible from the highway if you need to drive or take the Metro and step outside, and it's right there at your feet. Um, So whether you need host gifts or gift boxes, freshly baked pies and sweet treats, or maybe even district branded clothing, you can find it all. Um, Additionally, we're working with the Ritz to incorporate some of the local vendor products into their food and beverage operations. So if you want to learn more, be sure to give us a follow on Instagram. We post all of our upcoming news there at Curate Co. That's at C-U-R-E-A-T-E Co. Um, And on today's episode... I'm super jazzed. I mean, shifting our dollars is one thing, but a crucial piece of shifting our dollars into small businesses is also uh, taking a stand with our dollars, right? Like, what are the core values we stand for and how is that represented represented in the small business um, and what they aim to do in this world? And that's why I'm so pleased to have Lena's Drooly on today's show. Lena is the founder of DeFerro Dates, a local food condiment company that is spreading their love for dates while employing refugee women. And pro tip, DeFerro Dates is one of the amazing products showcased for you to purchase at the Ritz-Carlton Shop Local pop-up. So we're going to take a quick break right now and be right back with Lena. listening to the tidbit and we are here with Lena Zdruli, founder of DeFerro Dates. Welcome Lena. Thank you for having me. We are so happy that you are here. Uh, I mentioned that this is the season of holidays and if you are like us you have had no respite from the holiday candy um, and baked goods since before Halloween. Ugh too much chocolate. But really, could you ever have too much chocolate? I don't think so. Um, And this constant presence of treats is only going to intensify over the next several weeks. So you yourself admit you have a bit of a sweet tooth. Um, So tell us more about the DeFerro date spread as this healthy alternative ingredient and snack on its own. Tell us. So 
the reason we're using dates, for example, is that they're naturally sweet. Mm. So there's nothing that we need to add to it. At the same time, we get to have something delicious. Often we use it as a Nutella alternative, for oh. example. Has one third less of the calories. First ingredient is not sugar, it's dates. And um, they're useful because you can use, uh, they have antioxidants such as flavonoids, which help reduce inflammation, high in fiber. Um, one issue around the holidays is that those who have diabetes or issues with high glycemic index, you can't have the same feast that everyone else has. And um, with dates with certain varieties and certain types, you can actually still enjoy it. Um, mm. So that's the nice thing. And I've been snacking on this every day because right now it's very busy time. So as a dip with uh, just apples or almonds in a crepe, in wow. chocolate, in brownies. We have date truffles now too. Date truffles? Tell us more. So they're just made with dates, almonds, and coconut oil. And it tastes, uh, tastes delicious. I've, I've been having way too many of them with the excuse of taste testing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an amazing alternative to cookies and cakes because, as I mentioned, I, I actually love sweets. If I could just eat the three meals a day on cake, I would do that. <laughs> but um, trying to compromising on health is, at the same time, not an, op- not an option for many people. And right. Uh, for us, the option is not compromising health for flavor, flavor for health, and trying to put, show that those two things can actually go hand in hand, and you don't have to sacrifice. That's amazing. And I feel like a bit of your story and genesis into this company comes to play. Tell, how did you come up with this idea in general? So I, I just had a personal need for two months. Um, the doctor told me no. Uh, gluten, no coffee, which was miserable. Oh, no. <laughs> Sugar, um, eggs, dairy, none of the things that basically I loved. Right. Um, and no cakes. And at the same time, I had more than 10 pounds of dates from traveling. And I, I love them. What a unique thing to have. <laughs> I, I collect dates, tea, and coffee every time I travel. I have wow. two shelves full at home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so I was snacking on them. In the Middle East, you call it nature's candy. Oh. Um, and I, I loved them, but I got kind of tired of just eating the raw date. Mm-hmm. And um, playing and I love chocolate. So I played around with recipes, made a date brownie. Everyone finished it, made carrot cakes, different ingredients, and started to look online and thought, wow, how is it possible that there's only two date spread companies in all of the U.S., which are actually both imported. They're not produced local, like in the U.S. at all. Wow, interesting. And both added sugar and preservatives, which were things that I couldn't eat (laughs) in the first place. And so um, that's that's kind of how the genesis for the product came about. It was just very much a personal need out there. Couldn't find... um, Sometimes if I found a gluten-free cookie, it had twice as much sugar mm. as a traditional one, which was also what I couldn't eat. And it was very hard to find something that was nutritious yeah. and at the same time tasted like something I actually wanted to eat. Absolutely. And I think the more that people are adopting a vegan lifestyle, whether it's for uh, you know animal animals' rights reasons or maybe just wanting to be vegan throughout Uh, the work week Mm -hmm. this is something a lot of my friends have adopted where during the work week you're vegan but then on the weekend you 
eat meat. I don't know, to each their own. But with the rise of us being more conscious about what we're putting into our bodies, I can only imagine that the uptick in understanding how dates can be this substitute for sugar, at least that education is a little bit more prevalent now. Yes, and it's a, it's a process. I mean, those who are vegans often know about date spread. It's often considered the staple of vegan baking using it as a base it's a great alternative to eggs in moist baking so brownies fruit cake carrot cake um, banana bread you can actually substitute eggs for it there are many children that have egg allergies now that's very prevalent and very common and so parents have to be even more careful because you'd be surprised what you find eggs in and um, so it's it's great to have that type of alternative that it's not just sugar substitute can be part of the flour substitute depending on what flour you use um, same with eggs acting as a binder wow amazing so i'm really interested in learning more about DeFerro's approach to marketing because like we just talked about your product appeals to these two different consumer segments possibly overlapping one people who are cause oriented and people who are looking for that healthy alternative like we're talking about so Maybe there's even a third group of people that just, you know, want a tasty product um, that could maybe care less about health and shopping their values. But who is that person? I don't know them. Um, So what's your strategy for reaching these groups and educating more about the product and the cause that supports them? I, I alluded to prior to welcoming you in that you're employing refugee women as well. So so how are you reaching these two potentially different consumer segments? So one of the big strategies that we've used is going to markets and festivals because there you can see consumers face-to-face. And, and there's a reason they chose your table as opposed to another one or a reason why they stopped by. So we always push for product first because I've noticed in, what, six, seven, eight months now of going to fairs and festivals that if someone doesn't like the taste of something, no matter if it's healthy, no matter if it's cause-oriented, only three out of a hundred will buy something because of just the cause. Right. That's the average that I've, I've noticed. Out of a hundred customers, three or four will just buy it because of that. At the same time, I've noticed that we all say we want to be healthy and, and there's a certain persona and perspective that we have of ourselves. But in the end of the day, flavor comes first with food. And it's the flavor and the comfort and and the ease of access also that is something really pressing. And so I I kind of see those three customers as mutually reinforcing. And, uh-huh. and for example, in families, families are a big target. Well, how we market to children, I tell them, do you have, do you eat PB&J? Mm-hmm. They say, yes, I love it. Well, this is like the J. And so that's how the child is little bit less scared to try this new thing and they taste and they love it and if they're over six months they can have as much as they want really mothers use it to sweeten um sweet lightly sweeten kids um smoothies and foods to actually get them to eat more fruits and vegetables oh i love this back in the day i used to work for whole foods market and i used to do store tours for you know middle school and elementary Mm -hmm. school kids 
And one of my favorite aspects was once I would do the store tour and I would say, how many animals make cheese? Or (laughs) how many colors of apples do we have? Things like this. I would then actually see that child and their parent come into the store and the child would repeat the fun (laughs) facts that I told them to the parent. It is an incredibly smart tactic that you're saying to really think about how does a kid experience your product because shoot brand loyalist for life there (laughs) and making that relationship between a pb and j that's so smart so that's one of the approaches just for the age um target and on the other hand one thing that we've been using a lot is, for example, tapping into community. So the vegan community is smaller by default. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have less options, which also cost more. Sure. And so one, one thing that we really think with Duffer is, okay, how can the vegan community have a product they love? And how can the diabetic community have a product they love? And how can everyone else enjoy those same products with the people that actually don't have dietary restraints. Mm -hmm. So that's something that a a mother told me, for example. She said, my son can finally have over sleepovers the same breakfast as his friends because um, he was not allowed to eat Nutella or um, have syrup on top of his pancakes. It just Uh. maple syrup really shooted up his glycemic index. Mm. And the mother said, finally, I don't have to make something just for him because his friends won't eat the things that he has. Right. And so that's really the type of approach that's showing it's actually a wholesome and um, easy food to eat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a comparable substitute, and you don't have to, again, compromise on that flavor, and you're getting all of the added benefits of health. Exactly. I love this. So we're actually going to take another quick break here because we are going to dive a little bit deeper into the cause aspect of your production. So taking a quick break, and we'll be right back with Lena. to the tidbit and we are here with Lena Struli, founder of DeFaro Dates, a local food condiment company that is spreading their love for dates while employing refugee women. Lena, I'm just going to go for it. This is going to be a bold direct question, <laughs> but it's when you surely get a lot of uh you know, I feel like it's an important uh to answer this given our national climate right now. Why should a business hire refugees? Because it makes sense for business in every aspect of it. So I think of it as a, as a wholesome approach. If you're missing out on a large section of the population which has their own forms of innovation, their own forms of tradition, you're missing out on potentially product crossover. You're missing out, on the other hand, on an extremely dedicated workforce, actually They've done studies, and for hourly wages, refugees have a higher retention rates than native population. There are many reasons around that. won't dive deep into it, but at the same time, I see it, for example, with refugee women. 
they're one of the least likely groups to be employed in general. Often they don't speak the language. Most of the women we work with don't speak English. Uh, little to no access to transit and transportation. Often don't have the certifications even that are needed to work in the, their new resettled country. At the same time, they have so much dedication. It's such a passionate workforce. They might be working and taking care of their family from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. They come to the shift and they will work until it's done. And so this idea that just because they don't, they're different or they, they've had their troubles or their many issues in their lives, which is very true. And there are unique challenges to working with refugees, specifically with women, um, which I can deep dive into that a bit later. At the same time, it gives so much innovation. I can give an example on even over this weekend. I thought it would be interesting to test out a new type of date. So let's work with this. It turned out my hypothesis was very wrong. Had I gone to my employees first and told them, what do you think about this? I wouldn't have made the mistake of buying 100 pounds of the wrong type of date. Mm. Because they've been working with dates for centuries, if not more. And the second one of them saw it, she said, this is not good to make a different type of jam. The skin is too thick. No matter how much I try, there's no way I can have acquired that knowledge. And so that's very much what we're doing. We're taking their tradition, their customs, their very unique knowledge and mixing it with Western flavor. Mm. Yeah, and I love this idea of, well, we talk about this quite often on the tidbit. You have to design with the end user in mind. So your end user, the consumer, again, we talked about moms, kids, but in the co-creation of your product, being able to say this is a raw product from this part of the world. How can we make sure that people who have been in those communities or are stakeholders of those communities have a voice in how that product is created into something new? Because so often, uh, whether it's Silicon Valley or another <laughs> East Coast city, right? It's somebody who cultural appropriation, right? It's people taking uh, concepts or ingredients and and putting, um, making it seem like it's their own when it has not been their own. And I really appreciate that you are, again, co-creating this product with a lot of intentionality and thoughtfulness to the communities in which you're getting that raw ingredient, in this case, the date, getting it from. Exactly. And if you consider it, California is one of the largest producers of dates. It's fifth or sixth in the world as an wow. um, exporter. At the same time, California only really commercializes two or three types of dates. There are thousands of dates and 300 commercially viable. So that's really limiting the variety that you get in food. And that's actually a criticism that um, as foreigners, we hear a lot in the U.S. that there's so many varieties but in reality that's not true it's just that one product has 20 ingredients but there's not a lot of variety in the the native inputs of it mm. and so sometimes it has too many flavors but not enough variety in the raw ingredient and that's something that us has such a large uh, and diverse population and not accounting for that is really missing out on the market oh definitely that is fascinating it's kind of like how the banana market is dominated by one variety of banana 
so interesting. Maybe we should do an episode on like global supply <laughs> chains and how they've been consolidated. Idea. <laughs> um, so, so let's say you're a business that's totally bought in, on board, uh, but you're also a startup and probably don't have internal human resources and HR department um, or any, let's say, these resources that a larger corporation may have. So I'm a small business. I really, I'm down to employ and hire refugees. How can you support the empowerment of refugees through employment? How does that unfold for you? And if I wanted to do that as a business owner, how should I go about it? So right now with the process of the fair, exploring it myself, that's what I'm trying to write out. So Mm -hmm. writing out a blueprint for small and medium businesses on how they can go about an integration. Now we've built a whole business model around employment of vulnerable communities. So in the US it's um, refugee women, abroad we're thinking of expanding it to former trafficking victims and similarly always targeting those who are least likely to be employed. Now what some of the tips that I can give specifically for small business is one partnerships. It is absolutely critical to form a partnership with a local NGO that resettles refugees because Mm. that is, first of all, how you will tap into that community, how you will find who is looking for employment, who has the skill set and capability to do what you're looking for. Do you have any examples of NGOs? Of course. So the International Rescue Committee, there's which is national Mm -hmm. uh, it's international but uh, there's a silver spring branch Mm -hmm. in the u.s lutheran uh relief lutheran uh, resettlement agency um seagrass in alexandria is one of our ngo partners and they do phenomenal job at going through a three-step language intensive language training for women and so instead of just taking class two three hours a week and then forgetting what you've learned um they take these cohorts of refugee women who have settled in the city of alexandria Mm. and they do intensive language nine to one while their kids are at school they come out of it i was so impressed by what amazing english they've been able to learn in three to six months Sometimes. That's fantastic. It's really great. And that's that's one of the best ways that if a business is completely external to, um, let's say, the refugee cause, um, to tap into that network. Two, we're actually in the process of building an education app for the employees that we're working with. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Breaking news, people. <laughs> so um, one thing I noticed as going about and even though i wrote my master's thesis on this topic i wrote about refu- uh, private sector interventions for refugee employment wow look at this <laughs> practicing I, what you preach yes trying to integrate theory into practice i i interviewed human resources directors in germany as a case study everything from accenture to volkswagen very large companies and then smaller startups despite being in this field for two years i was not prepared for what happened when I actually had to train on the pro- like the food process. Mm-hmm. And so now the education app that we're building is training on financial literacy, on early childhood education, U.S. customs, hygiene and presence in the U.S. and other topics. Um, and it'll be a very simple, easy to use app. Most everyone that at least we've worked with has some form of smartphone Mm. and so they'll just be able to download the app for free go through it in 15 to 20 minute modules it's intended as if um, they can do it on their commutes 
I coming see. or going from work. So that's why it's in little tidbits mm-hmm. <laughs> of 15 to 20 minute knowledge. And um, so we're in the process of building this Amazing. and offering it uh, to the NGO partners and to hopefully other small businesses that can use this type of training to facilitate that process. I am so excited. Let me know when it's live <laughs> to test and use. First beta user customer over here. Is there a certain percentage of where most of the refugee women you're working with are um, coming from? And I ask this because with your app even, are you thinking about t- languages, right? Like how is it going to be just arabic french spanish anyway tell me a bit more yes so most of the women that we've been working with come from syria and afghanistan Mm -hmm. um it's not been a selected choice it's just been who our partners have been absolutely found that are available so the first translations will be in arabic and uh, pashto or dari Mm -hmm. which are two of the many languages spoken in afghanistan um, that depends on the translators that we can find in which language. Most, I would say, forty percent speak Dari. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is some, this is incredible work here. Really thinking about the whole complex ecosystem that food really is, right? It's not just that end product of eating delicious dates bread, but all of these touch points. Um, you know, we mentioned this in the beginning of the show, but you are a featured vendor at our. Pentagon City, Ritz-Carlton Shop Local Pop-Up. Congrats! Um, So how did this opportunity come to you? And where else can we pick up a jar of your date spread? Um, And I guess also from this business model perspective, a lot of our listeners are constantly weighing whether whether to and how to expand their product offerings and distribution channels. Mm -hmm. So do you have any further plans to add Again, you were talking about research and development for new product lines, mm-hmm. but tell us what are your products currently? Do you have plans to expand the product varieties and where can we find you? So right now we have um, the date spread, which is our original and almond date butter, which is made just with almonds, dates and coconut oil and then um, date truffles, which have the same ingredients as the almond butter, but they are like cookie truffle type consistency so these are the three products um we're thinking of expanding flavors of these three lines mm-hmm. um but after the for the busy christmas uh, season we're also selling online started selling at amity market in fairfax virginia Ooh, okay um, which is a very popular lovely turkish market Amazing. out in virginia and um, and throughout different festivals, so there's a DC pop-up. We'll be at Metro Cooking DC. Oh, wonderful! And um, basically, all of the pop-ups throughout <laughs> the Christmas season in DC and online. We ship nationally everywhere. Oh, wonderful! Well, obviously, I'm just going to plug again. You should definitely come to the Pentagon yeah. City Ritz Carlton pop-up. Woo-hoo. Um, and how can people find you online? What is your website? What are your social media links? So our website is www.thefair.com. So D-A-F-E-R-O. And then Instagram is at thefarodates. And then Facebook is the same, thefaro. Thank you. This is so wonderful to chat with you. 
Um, listener, I hope you know this already, but if you don't, did you know that this show is based off of our bi-weekly newsletter that we send out at Curate? It's called The Tidbit, naturally. Um, and in it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. So head over to curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E.co to sign up. And until next time, everybody, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Thank you.